0: Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 199, and today I'll be sharing an interview with the founder of an e-commerce marketing agency focused on helping its clients retain their customers without being overly dependent on quote-unquote broken online channels. He has a proven technique for you to reach your customers with a 100% open rate, with cost-effectiveness and without any distractions from things like ads and emails. He also doesn't rely on technology that you can't control. I'll share more about my guest in just a little bit, but here's a little preview of what we'll be discussing. How can e-commerce brands improve customer retention? What are some ways that e-commerce brands can measure and monitor customer retention? What's involved in your secret formula for boosting customer retention? Why is direct mail having a comeback now in 2022? What types of customers respond the best to direct mail and more? But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers, and you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. I want to read my favorite review of the week. Snapchatter 457 says, episode 148, get comfortable with video marketing for jewelry inspired me to create my first Instagram reel showing my whole self. First of all, that is awesome. And I'll link to that episode in the show notes. Second of all, thank you. I really appreciate that. If you leave a review, I might read it on a future podcast episode. Please let me know what you think about this episode or about any other major takeaways you've had recently. I'm so excited to announce that the Joy Joya podcast has its very first sponsor. After self-funding this podcast since 2018 when I launched it, I've now decided to seek outside sponsors to help me build the resources that all need to keep improving upon this podcast and making it better for you. I have big ideas and those require funds and support. If you're interested in seeing the sales kit and learning more about how sponsorship can help you reach a dedicated niche audience of jewelry business owners and leaders, please email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A, at joyjoya.com. This episode is sponsored by Chris Mella, maker of the most secure earring back in the world. If you're not watching on YouTube, please visit the Joy Joya channel to see my demo of the only earring back that automatically fits, locks, and lifts all types of earrings. I am wearing them on my studs right now and they are an absolute must for my jewelry wardrobe because i'm pretty hard on my jewelry and they ensure that my earrings are not going to get lost or fall out have you been seeking unique gift with purchase ideas for your jewelry business especially with the upcoming holidays are you hoping to increase your average order value for any jewelry business that sells post earrings chris mella is a high quality solution that enables you to provide a better customer experience and instills confidence in your clientele. Mayumi Ishii, the exclusive US distributor of Chris Mella, was even a past guest on the Joy Joya podcast in episode 71 if you'd like to check out her interview. Joy Joya listeners and viewers who are interested in learning more about partnering with Chris Mella can email Mayumi at info at chrysme.la. Chris Mella offers white labeling as well as wholesale opportunities. That's info at chrysme.la. LA. And please make sure to mention that you learn about Chris Mella through the Joy Joya podcast. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. So, this article or this brand I learned about through CNET. And the title of the article was This Jewelry Store Lets You Order 3D Printed Samples Before You Buy. So, this week's Sparkle Award goes to Jenny Wu, a Los Angeles based jewelry designer that leverages her background in architecture to create complex designs for her products. Jenny Wu has a brand called Lace, and she prints the beautiful designs using Selective Laser Sintering, or SLS, totally new to me. So using lasers, her team can melt a powder into a shape, as well as print them in a wax that can be cast from silver, and the final product has different textures and grains. 3D printing jewelry is not a new concept, but I like what Jenny Wu is doing with her business model. For most jewelry brands, rings are actually the most returned item, since people aren't sure of their ring size or how the ring will look on their hand but lace creates nylon versions of the most popular designs that customers can purchase for just $3 for one ring, and then the samples are sent to them in whatever size they want, and the customer can keep that sample no matter what. So, Thanks to this technology, customers can get a feel for how the ring fits and looks on their hand. They're lighter than a metal ring, but you can still get a sense for the fit and the overall style. It cuts back on expensive returns and ultimately improves the customer experience. As I mentioned, you can visit SparkleAward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get the links to these articles by checking out the show notes. The first article comes from in-store mag, and it's called, Here's Why Jewelry Retailers Should Care About Disney Plus and Netflix's Upcoming Ad-Supported Subscriptions. So maybe you've dabbled in social media advertising, or maybe you've tried Google AdWords. Perhaps you have an advertising budget. Maybe you haven't seen success from that and you're starting to wonder like, can advertising work for me? I think what this article is really putting across is that the potential for advertising and ad formats are really about to change and potentially open up new opportunities for jewelry brands. So Disney Plus and Netflix are introducing ad supported subscription options later this year and advertisers are wondering how much ad spend will shift from traditional cable to these streaming platforms or even from other digital advertising initiatives. They will likely have shorter ad breaks since Disney Plus and Netflix would rely much less on ad revenue than say cable television. And since users of these platforms maintain accounts, The platforms would have access to different types of data, like what types of shows do they watch, what types of interests do they have. And this could potentially help brands who choose to advertise on these platforms have a more personalized and relevant ad experience. This is a really great quote from the article, changing advertising so that it allows more personable levels of engagement and or introducing new products based on interests could usher in a whole new world of relevant and dare I say, desired advertising, end quote. So the main takeaway of this article is that the world of advertising is really primed for change very soon. And even if you've tried advertising in the past and it hasn't worked for you, I would say don't fully discount it because advertising, ad formats, modes of advertising, Are always changing and I think that they're about to change very much very soon. The next article comes from this publication called Passion Fruit, which I never heard of before but I really liked this article. So it's called Pinterest's invite-only platform Shuffles is Gen Z's new favorite app. Shuffles is the latest app from Pinterest. It was first introduced on the App Store in August. And in just a few weeks, it has garnered mass popularity among Gen Z users. But right now, just so you know, it's invite only. So not everyone can join. But I think there's a lot of potential here and it's a really cool app. So it's a collaging tool collaging that connects your Pinterest account and it allows you to create collages using pins on your boards. You can also search for pictures, add pictures from your camera roll, or use pre-made cutouts. So similar to TikTok, there's a for you page on this app and it becomes more refined as the algorithm gets to know you and the more that you use it. If you remember the days of Polyvore, then you'll be really familiar with this Shuffles app because it kind of borrows a lot of features from there. It's really inspiring its users to connect over mutual interests and artistic likes. And I think the cool thing about this new direction that Pinterest is going in is it's less, at least right now, it seems like it's less about ego and showing off and more about people creatively collaborating and just being inspired by each other. So my main takeaway from this article, I'm not sure how brands will end up utilizing this platform or if they'll really be able to, but it kind of seems like a home run for jewelry brands, especially for brands who back in the day would utilize polyvore for like mood boards or outfit inspiration. So I think there's a lot of potential here with shuffles. And then the last article comes from Retail Brew and it's called, for luxury brands, resale is almost in inevitability. So apparel brands, you've probably noticed, are really starting to embrace resale as part of their strategy. This is a great quote from the article. The bulk of luxury retail goes through consignment shops or digital marketplaces like The Vault, The Real Real, and Hardly Ever Worn, though some luxury brands like Oscar de la Renta are, are launching their own in-house resale sites. Secondhand is expected to grow 126% into a $218 billion industry by 2026, According to ThreadUp's latest resale report, 74% of retail executives are now more willing to offer resale to their customers, up 14% from 2020. Luxury retail is just a matter of time, says Sasha Skoda, who's the head of merchandising at The RealReal. Real. So what is the main takeaway of this article? I would say, ask yourself, is there a way that you can incorporate this into your jewelry brand's business strategy? When you uh, kind of let go of resale and allow other vendors to sell your products on the retail market, a resale market, it really takes brand storytelling, the power brand storytelling away from you because you no longer have control over it. Perhaps the person reselling your product doesn't even know anything about your product, and so you just lose that control. I would really recommend if you're interested in this to go back to my interview with Tammy Cohen because we talk a lot about valuation and how important brand story is to valuation, and that gets even more amplified when a product is being resold on a place like eBay or the real real or something of that nature. So, this is a really important thing to keep in mind. For more information about any of these articles, please check out the links provided in the show notes. So, as I mentioned earlier, my guest today is an e commerce marketing expert who specializes in customer retention. Leo Pleboni first entered the world of e-commerce when he was hired as an online sales manager for a large Italian company based in New York. From there, he transitioned to being a freelance consultant, managing and scaling e-commerce companies to seven-figure revenues. He loves the world of e-commerce and invests in it not only as an agency owner, but also an entrepreneur who has his own e-commerce projects. So he's out there in the field doing these things himself. His approach to e-commerce marketing is both innovative and a little bit old school, making it super unique. Without further delay, let's chat with Leo. So Leo, tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about your business, D2C Gang. What is it all about?
1: Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, DTC Gang is just the name of, the, of, my, of my agency where we basically help uh, other businesses to grow their online channel, uh, specifically uh, the e-commerce. Uh, and so DTC, because we are focused on DTC brands, so direct to consumers. Um, yeah, and uh, that's what we that's basically what we do. We mainly operate in the U.S. market, and um, uh, even though we we have other business, like not not in the U.S. but like in Italy, because you know as you can as you may tell tell by my accent, I'm from Italy. And so, DTC Gang is just you know the agency where we manage and grow e-commerces, which it can be either like somebody else's business or it can be our uh, our e-commerce. So that's uh, that's what it mean what it means.
0: How did you first get into e-commerce, and how did your career path evolve since then?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I've always been passionate about business since I was young. Uh, I remember like friends were like passionate about soccer or football or sports. I was never like interested in anything but business. So I was reading business books uh, and uh, um, and so, I had a pretty, pretty clear mind since I was young on what I wanted to do. I wanted to own my own business. I wanted to do business. Uh, and so I studied, uh, in, uh, Italy in a college where I studied economy and commerce, which is kind of business uh, business administration in the U S after college, I, I got a job offer in New York city and actually. Back then, I was like, I will never work with some for somebody else. The only reason why I'm gonna work for somebody is that I'm gonna work in New York City, I have an office where I can see the Empire State Building. And I don't know what happened, but or how it happened, but I actually, it became true. So I got this, this job offer. I moved to New York. I had I had an office at the 21st floor, and I was uh, just in front of the Empire State Building. So a kind of uh, a, a dream came came true. Uh, And so I moved to New York in 2014, and then uh, I worked in this company for uh, five years. And then in 2019, uh, I decided to leave the company and my job and actually started two businesses. First, I started the agency, uh, which back then was not really an agency. It was just me being a freelancer and helping mostly other Italian companies in the U.S. grow their online channel with Amazon and the the e-commerce. And I also opened a, an e-commerce in Italy, where we basically uh, are still active. It's called uh, Jerry America, and we sell American food in Italy. Um, and uh, we we have the whole operation, warehouse. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's going. Um, yeah. And uh, and then since 2019, basically I've been on my own, doing my own projects online, and you know, loving it.
0: What's the most popular American food that you sell in Italy? Um,
1: the best seller is um, the M&M's cookies. <laughs> it's a cookie made with M&M's. Yeah. And then I think uh, like top top five, I guess, it's uh, uh, the cherry Coke. Because they don't have cherry Coke in Italy. They have just the regular Coke. Uh, and then we sell uh, also the fluff, the marshmallow cream. Uh-huh. So it's a, it's, a, it's a big a big seller. Yeah, those are, I think are the, the top three at least. Yeah that's
0: so interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's unique. It's unique.
0: <laughs> so your agency focuses a lot on customer retention in e-commerce. is that correct?
1: Yeah, correct. Um, I mean the first clients that we got, we actually were doing everything for them. So we were doing the website, we were doing the customer acquisition with media buying. Um, and email marketing and stuff. But lately, we have been really focused more on the retention part of the e-commerce. Yeah.
0: Why have you found that that's so important, and why have you like niched into that space?
1: Yeah. Um, it's important, I think, now more than ever, just because of the all online marketing ecosystem is changing so much, especially after the iOS 14.5 uh, update. Where basically we saw that um, you know the the cost of acquired, the cost of acquisition was you know going up, the overall marketing uh, spend was not as efficient as it used to be, and so we had these e-commerces with big list of customers, past customers, and so we were like, okay, instead of focusing to acquire even more customers, like let's fix the retention first because that's the lowest hanging fruit. Like we know those people are interested in about our brand. They know our products. So let's just like, just, just, let's just, you know, uh, fix the retention first. And so that's what we've been trying to do, um, with the agency.
0: That makes so much sense. So for an e-commerce brand that's already in existence, and maybe they want to know how they can start focusing more on customer retention, what are some ways that they can be measuring and monitoring this um, key performance indicator?
1: Yeah. Um, So just let me go back uh, very quickly to the first question, because I think uh, there are some statistics that are interesting uh, to say. So, uh, in general, uh, for example, 44% of businesses focus on customer acquisition, while only 18% focus on retention. And even though the probability of selling to an existing customer is like 60 to 70%, while the probability of selling to a new customer is between five and 20%. So you already see there that that's why the long, the, the lower ranking fruit is in retention. Uh, And then the like 50% uh, of existing customers are more likely to purchase a new products that the business launches. Um, And also existing customers are 30% 30 more likely to have a higher uh, average order value. uh, So those are important um, metrics to to keep in mind. Um, And so in general, Most uh, businesses, they don't really make uh, a lot of profit on the first sales. So the, the lifetime value of the client becomes very important to, to basically uh, unleash the profit uh, that the customer is going to, is going to give you. Um, So on how to mention, how to measure retention, uh, customer retention. So uh, in general, usually the platform, the e-commerce platform that somebody uses usually already have a system in place to measure those like, we work mostly with Shopify. So you just have to go to your dashboard and check the uh, returning customer rate metric. That's where you see what percentage of the, of the customers in the specific period came back. The formula is basically like, if you look at a period, let's say you have 100 orders if those 100 orders are made, uh, let's say 30, or 30 customers have made those orders and those 30 customers have made one or more order, that means that they are returning customers. So the, the customer retention rate in this case is uh, 30%. Um, however, you should not look only at the, re- at, the, at the retention rate in percentage, but you should also look at the retention rate in absolute value. And this, because let's say you do, you do a a promo next week. And so maybe you have a lot of customers, returning customers coming back. However, the retention rate is lower because you acquired a lot of new customers. So we always look both at the percentage and the absolute number. And we want to have the absolute numbers that grows, because if that grows, it means that mm, you're doing the customer retention, right? If the. If the percentage grows, it can mean a lot of different things. It can mean that you're not acquiring new customers. And so from one side, it's like, okay, the, the retention rate is, is growing. It's good, but it's actually not that good because you're not acquiring customers. So we always look at both um, at both numbers.
0: Is there like a healthy average retention rate or does it vary by industry?
1: Uh, it does vary by industries, but if you look at... An average is usually around 20%, but it really, you should look at your industry and see what it is in your industry. Just to make an example, if somebody is selling supplement, it's probably going to be higher than 20%. If somebody is selling TVs, it's probably less just because the the time between purchase is much higher for TVs than on, on supplement. And so you you always have to look at your own industry uh, and see what the what the numbers are there, um, and you maybe you know you can search online by industry type, um, and then eventually I think with time you start you start to get a feeling on uh, what the numbers should look like.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure in the jewelry industry off the top of my head what the benchmark would be, but I imagine that even in the jewelry industry, there are a lot of different price points. I would imagine that mm-hmm. for a lower priced product, it would be easier to have a higher retention rate than for somebody selling like multiple thousand dollar pieces.
1: Yeah. Like, for example, if if you sell like the engagement ring, mm-hmm. you know, only engagement rings, maybe, you know, it should be lower than somebody selling, I a necklace or every, everyday jewelry. Yeah, so, that yeah, makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: So for listeners and viewers that are sold on this idea that customer retention is important, what would be the first steps in trying to develop this strategy to increase the customer retention rate?
1: Yeah. I mean, what we do, we usually start by analyzing where the business is at the present moment. Uh, And so we want to look at the, we're going to like dive dive deeper into the numbers. Um, and then the next thing, uh, we want to set some goals and we want to see what's the absolute returning customer rate, uh, is going to be like, so let's say we're like, okay, last month we had 40 clients coming back. And next month we want to have 50 clients coming back. So we have a goal and then from there we start to think, okay, how can we, how can we do that? What are some specific strategies that we, that we can implement, uh, looking at the different channels and that we can implement and reach the goal. So yeah, first thing I think it's understand where you're now set some goal and then, um, come up with strategies, like, like for example, um. Uh, uh, you you'll have to understand the, the customer lifetime cycle, uh, and what are the touch points that they have with your brand? So let's say, um, somebody plays an order today. What are the next marketing, um, messages that we're going to send to them and how can we improve them to make more convincing for them to come back. And so we can reach the goal for the next month, for example. Um, then I will look into segmentation, which is really important and make sure that you speak to each segment the way you're supposed to speak with them. Just to make you an example, right? So if, uh, you have a segment of the customer that plays one order, you should communicate with them in a different way than if you have a segment of customer that plays more than four orders. Right. Because those people know, you know, your brand they have been back. And so they're more like, you know, think of think of it like as you have a, a physical store where you sell bread and you have somebody that comes in for the first time. So you may have a different attitude uh, versus somebody that comes in every day and you know their first name, they know, they know, you know, the, the whole family. And so you may be engaged with a different conversation with them versus the the first time customers.
0: That's a great analogy. <laughs> I like that a lot. So I know that your agency uses a, a mix of different types of mediums to do, to engage these customer touch points, like email marketing, direct mail, strategic inserts. Can you talk a little bit more about why it's important to have this mix and what that means or looks like?
1: Yeah. So first of all, in business, in general, the enemy number one is actually the number one. So you don't want to rely on one thing. You don't want to rely on one marketing channel, on one client, on one supplier. So our, the retention marketing system that we use always relies on multiple, uh, multiple channels, but we always think of the customers and all on all, all of all the, the channels and how each one. Uh, is interacting with the with the client Um, so um, for example on on the line we use email marketing we use uh, SMS we use notification and then of course we use uh, social media like Facebook ads etc and on the offline we use mostly direct mail which is a new channel that we actually implemented in Q4 of last year and is giving us great results and we we also look at inserts By inserts, we mean the things that we put inside the package that we're going to ship to them. Um, uh, yeah, maybe I can explain it a little bit more. Basically, the first thing for us is like, as I mentioned before, segmenting the customers. So as I mentioned, like uh, orders equals one versus orders equal four, and then understand what are all the messages that we send to them. So for example, for the order equals one. We have a a post purchase flow uh, between emails and SMS that goes out for 15 days, and then we may have a win back campaign that goes out on day 45. And so we are looking at that and we're also looking at how can we implement other channels on top of that? So how can we maybe send some notification? And most importantly, lately, how can we send them some postcards, some direct mail? So let's say that the communication ends on day 60, we may have something in place for day 80 to day, uh, 365 mostly with postcards. Um, and so you, you map out the, the whole, uh, the whole, uh, marketing message that you're going to send out. And you also try to, you know, make it as most cost efficiently as you can. Just because, in general, for example, email marketing uh, is cheaper than sending a physical direct mail piece. So, we want to try to make the second sale with the emails. And so, when we can't, then we implement the direct mail. Um, or another thing that we look at are inserts, which I think is one of the channels that people don't really look at. And it's the one that makes the most sense to us because we are paying for the shipping. To send those products to the customers, and so we want to make the speed, the experience, the experience as good as we can, and uh, we want to make sure that we do everything in our power to you know uh, get them back, or get them to do something that we want to do. Uh, for example, let's say, um, let's say you have a, a loyalty program on your uh, e-commerce and uh what, what you can do for example is segment people that are registered versus people that are not registered and to people that are not registered you can insert a piece of paper a flyer a postcard in the box saying hey i see you're not registered to our loyalty program uh, make sure you, you register now because you're gonna lose points it's free it only takes two minutes point your camera point this qr code with the camera and go back and and uh, sign up now um or for example let's say we we have a plan for people to come back a second time so if orders equals, equals 1 we're going to put another piece of paper inside saying hey thank you for your first order we really appreciate new business uh, this kind of stuff and then you can uh, you can say like hey we have um, a special uh, gift for all the people that place a second order within 30 days. So make sure you come back, you know, and then of course, when you have this, the order equals two, then you put the gift in. So you have to have the backend in place to actually maintain your promises. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Those are all really great suggestions. I was just curious, I was thinking when you were talking, is there ever a point in a customer retention outreach where you kind of like give up, (laughs) like if someone is like, just not ordering again, like when do you stop reaching out to them?
1: I mean, eventually you don't really stop because (laughs) those people are going to be also in your email campaigns and those can be seen also as a retention strategy. Uh, but in general, like the, 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 good thing about direct mail is that people can unsubscribe from direct mail, but they can really unsubscribe for di- uh, sorry, they can unsubscribe from email, but they can really unsubscribe for direct mail. So we have in place like a, a win back campaign with a great offer at day 720 <laughs> after the last purchase. So that means two years after we're just going to send them a postcard with a great offer to get them back. And I think, uh, yeah, that's probably like the last resort for our, <laughs> yeah. uh, system, not considering the email campaigns that, you know, that we still send. Sure.
0: Unless they unsubscribe, of course, <sighs> from email. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, from emails. Yes. Um, but like, for example, another good thing that we're doing always with postcards is that we are, um, you know, we're sending, for example, a, a campaign to people that have a birthday in the next, uh, the next, uh, seven days. So they get a happy birthday postcards with a, with a discount code or a promo or whatever you want to send. Uh, so, and those really work because, you know, people don't really get happy birthday postcards from brands, mostly from maybe friends, you know? so
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like there was a period of time, maybe like eight to 10 years ago when I was getting a lot of happy birthday postcards from brands, especially those that I was in like VIP or like frequent customer. And then for some reason, I noticed that stopped for a very long period of time. I wonder if people were were Mm. focusing more on email and SMS, but I think what you're saying is it's really making a comeback in the last two years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, direct mail, I don't think it's making a comeback yet but I think is eventually going to, Mm -hmm. Uh, just because, uh, you know, so far what, what happened is that there used to be a lot of direct mail back in the nineties, 2000, and then that, and then online marketing came. And so big companies started to slowly switch budget from the offline to the online, and now we are at a point where the offline is kind of disappeared. It's not completely disappeared, but it's not what it used to be. And so. Um, I think there are very good opportunities for marketers now to jump on it for a couple of reasons that maybe I can explain a little bit later, but, um, you know, you, uh, yeah, it's, I don't think it's making a comeback yet, but I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's going to happen eventually just because, <laughs> you know, branders are, are going to start realizing, like hey, people, you know, we're paying for people to join our newsletter, but then they unsubscribe. But we paid for them to acquire the customers. So w- how can we do it? And that's how actually we came up with that. You know, we were we had a very big list of past customers, like two thousand plus customers. That most of them didn't open the emails, didn't unsubscribe from the emails, and so I was like, okay, we can't really reach them online. I mean, we we can try with custom audience on Facebook, et cetera, but they don't really have been working lately. So how can we communicate with them? And we're like, we have the address that we ship the products to, so we can send them some uh, direct mail and that's the, the test that we did. And the results came back and were really awesome. And so we decided to dive in, into direct mail. Yep.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. Are there certain types of customers who respond better to direct mail than others, or does it really work across all demographics?
1: Um, okay, so first of all, we are using direct mail for past customers, so people that have purchased, and for cart abandoned, so people that have been interested but haven't completed the order. And of course, the lower you go to the, uh, the, to the funnel, the better the results usually. Uh, while for customer acquisition, I don't think direct mail is still as effective as the online channel. So we're only using it for, uh, for direct mail, uh, in general, what we saw, and this makes sense is that the more, the more people have like engaged with you in terms of number of orders, the more effective the campaigns are going to be. So for example, a great segment to de- to test is like, uh. People that have purchased more than four times, but haven't purchased in the last 180 days. So those we've seen, like even with a very small discount, a lot of people just come back because they are, they are uh, uh, loyal customers and they just need maybe a little push instead of a big promo to come back.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in case people are not convinced yet about direct mail, I know that Leo, you have some top reasons why brands today should be engaging in direct mail marketing. Can you tell us what they are? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So first of all, um because you can um you can reach your clients offline. So I mentioned this, right? If somebody unsubscribed from your email list or if they don't open emails, they can be the best customers in the world. They're not gonna see your message. And so you can reach them offline with uh, direct mail then another good reason is that you don't want to really rely on technology you can control Um, this means that if tomorrow your facebook ad get facebook ad account gets banned or if gmail marks uh, your email address as spam there is really not much you can do you know so you're relying on technology of other people that you don't control while on direct mail, you're relying on, of the, on the old USPS email uh, mail system that has been around for you know centuries, and uh, it's very reliable. And so that's another reason. Uh, then the empty mailbox. So as you mentioned before, 10 years ago, you used to get a lot of direct mail pieces, and lately, you're not getting as many. So that's an opportunity because you know all these big companies that are switching budget from the offline to the online... And so, for us, smaller brands, it makes sense to do the opposite, and uh, and get the the attention that the the direct mail piece can can give you. Uh, then you can avoid the online competition uh, because uh, you know customers are literally bombarded every day with the zillion ads and emails, and so the distraction is just one scroll away. Instead, when they pick up your postcard and you read, and they read your offer, uh, they, you have hundred percent of their, of their attention. You know, there is not another ad one scroll away, uh, then it's cheap and scalable, so with just a few cents per piece, uh, you can, um, you can really send, uh, a lot of, uh, basically postcards to, to clients. And, uh, you can, uh, in a way that you wouldn't be able to reach them otherwise. So it's scalable and it's cheap. Um, then you have, uh, a hundred percent open rate. <laughs> so if you're doing email marketing, right? You, uh, if you like the average is 24, 25% open rate. So what happens to these other people that are not opening nothing? they're just, they're just not getting your message. However, when you send uh, a postcard to them, the open rate is virtually 100% because they're going to get it. They're going to maybe look at it and say, okay, I'm not interested, but they're going to open it. They're going to read it. Okay. And then it's up to you to make the the headline, the offer, these kind of things uh, inviting enough for them to move on um, with with your request. Um, Then another good reason is the rising of uh, the CPM cost versus the mailing cost. So, yeah, if you've been in the online marketing uh, long enough, you've seen that every year, no matter what, the CPM has been going up, right? Uh, while the postage has still been going up, but not as much. And then the other thing is that uh, what happens if on Black Friday, for example, your CPM goes up 200%? There is, there is nothing you can do about that, it's not in your control. Uh, while the, the mailing cost, even during black Friday is going to be the same, so you don't have that problem. Uh, then another good reason is that you stay top of mind for longer. So statistically a piece of direct mail, uh, will stay within your customer physical space, let's say the kitchen table or the counter, uh, for seven days before getting, uh, discarded, um. So th- this means that every time they, they see that piece of postcard, this piece of direct mail, they'll think of you. Uh, instead, when they see an ad on, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the, they're going to just forget after like two, two, two scrolls, you know, so you stay top of mind longer. Um, then another reason is that you're going to, you're standing out because, for example, uh, I don't think a lot, a lot of other DTC commerce brands are doing po- uh, postcard marketing, right? Direct mail marketing. So the mailbox is gonna be emptier, and so you're gonna stand out. Um, then another reason is that you're gonna have a personalized experience. Uh, because, for example, you can add custom custom fields in the in the design of the postcard, and you can um, you know add the uh, first name. So for example uh, hey Frank uh, I've seen you haven't come back in a long time here is a discount so it's, you can add the personalized touch um then another good reason is that this that uh, spam law don't apply so for, that means that there is no rest- restriction of sending postcard because uh, they can spam law it only applies to emails So that means that your customer is going to see your direct mail, no matter what. And then the good last reason is the, is the technology advance. So for example, now you can send handwritten postcards, which are very, they work very well. Basically there is a robot, a robot, sorry, that is, uh, using a pen to write uh, a direct mail piece. So the feeling is like somebody, the person brought it. And so that's uh that's a cool uh, thing that we've been testing and is working very very well.
0: Yeah, so I had actually like- on yeah. a past episode um a founder of one of those companies that does handwritten cards. So I'll have to link that in the show notes too because it's really interesting technology. Um
1: Yeah. Yeah, I- for example, we use we're using the handwritten notes on um on different occasion, but I can mention two, one is the uh, first time customers. If they have an average order value that makes sense for us, then we're just going to send the handwritten cards saying, Hey, thank you. Welcome to the family. It makes the difference. And then like VIP customers that haven't been back for a long time, you know, you send them the, the written postcards. It's nice.
0: Yeah, definitely. One thing that I really like what you said about the CPM and how it can change at different times of the year. And so basically that refers to like the cost of of advertising for people who don't know that. And I think it's so relevant for the listeners and viewers because in jewelry there are definitely times of the year where there's a heavier order volume especially like black friday like you said at around Mm -hmm. certain holidays where the competition just gets so high that those costs do fluctuate and i never even thought about that with mail it just stays the same all the time so it's not dependent on demand or anything like that
1: yeah you're right and plus you know the the reason why CPM are going up is because all those big companies are switching budget, you know, from the offline to the online. So eventually they're going to keep going up and then, um, yeah. And with postcar you just pay, pay for the mailing, uh, uh, cost and that's it. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas or Christmas or Black Friday, you know, the, the cost is the same. So it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So, what are some of your favorite tools and resources that you're using for direct mail? Can you recommend anything?
1: Yeah, so we are premium uh, partner uh, with uh, Post Pilot. Okay. Post Pilot, think of it as a Klaviyo or Mailchimp for uh, direct mail, and so it's a platform where you connect your Shopify stores, and you are able to create designs uh, to add custom fields. So for example, the first name that I was mentioned before, and, uh, and they will just, you can just click send campaign and they will take care of everything. You can also, uh, create, uh, the automatic campaigns, So more like flows. So for example, you know, uh, if the orders equals one and, uh, has been more than 180 days, send this offer. So it's a, it's an automatic flow. And so, yeah, we are partnering with them and we also have a a very nice promo for people that want to give it a shot so we can offer uh, one 1000 free postcards and then we can also help with uh, understanding the offer the segment the design this kind of part so yeah I, we 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 use post pilot
0: great how how would they be able to take advantage of the off- offer
1: um i can send you the link to to share below perfect but or they or they can they can just reach out to me and uh, you know I can I can make it make it make it happen for them.
0: Great. So I'll put all that information yeah. in the notes for everyone too, so they could take advantage of it.
1: Yeah. Thanks.
0: So I learned so much about customer retention and direct mail today. It was super interesting to hear about your experience and what you do with clients. So I really appreciate you sharing all that. Tell me, Leo, what's coming up with you and your business on the horizon? What are you excited about?
1: Yeah, so we have been uh, focusing on uh, three different aspects. First one is continuing to support other businesses with the agency. So help them improve the retention and help them improve the overall e-commerce performance. Uh, then we have been focusing on launching new brands, um, for, uh, you know, our own e-commerce. And then, uh, I've also been looking into, uh, e-commerce acquisition lately cause I've seen that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities out there to just get an e-commerce that is doing good, but it's not probably doing everything and uh, and help, uh, you know, acquire the, the e-commerce and implement all the things that we know how to do and, uh, you know, own the business. So those are three things that we're looking at right now.
0: That sounds really exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it goes.
0: <laughs> well, thanks Leo. I so appreciate your time. It was great to have you as a guest.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was a, it was a pleasure.
0: What did you think of my interview with Leo? To learn more about his agency, visit dtcgang.com. Also in the show notes, I'll put the referral link to Postpilot so you can get a discount on sending your own postcard campaigns. And I'll put additional links for you to contact and get in touch with and connect with Leo. You can always email me, Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book for more information.